go. We're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We have a good old-fashioned Oscars profile for you for one of the most highly anticipated movies, certainly of the summer, but for uh, for your fellow Mikes here, your fellow Oscar pundits, uh, probably one of the more anticipated movies of all of 2022 as we get Jordan Peele's third feature film, Nope. We finally got our hands on it. We were at the uh, one of the debut showings, the premiere showings, at least in our part of East Hollywood over here in Connecticut <laughs> last night on the 21st. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. Yeah, I feel closer to Hollywood than maybe they were, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I got my dog in the room, so if you hear what sounds like an alien, it's just my pug. I see. Nicely done there. And I gave her a chewy, so mm-hmm. I don't know how this is going to go or when she's going to get active with this uh, this chew toy, but she may, she I may go I also have a chew toy because I'm going to be incredibly grumpy and mean this video, or this movie, whatever mm-hmm. this is, an episode, and uh, I'm, I'm going to need to take my anger out on something rather than just scream. Into the microphone yeah, yet change. another movie that you mostly liked, but because you have <laughs> picks to knit, other gonna... people have ruined. <laughs> no, other people ruined it for sure. Everybody has their theories, dude. Yeah, their big smart theories about morons. this one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're precisely recording this at six thirteen o'clock, so nothing uh, can go wrong. I see. We're you ready. Get that? You get it? <laughs> and the thirteenth letter of the alphabet is M. But look at—that's a spoiler we don't even get. So we're not going to explain. <laughs> so it doesn't really hurt anybody. We're ready. Yeah. All right. So if you've joined us before for a movie review or an Oscars profile, you know how these things go. If you've not, uh, we're not going to spoil the movie note for you in the first half of this episode. We get kind of two reviews for one episode's price here. The first half of every Oscars profile and movie review that we do is of the non-spoiler variety. We're going to talk about the movie watching experience, our expectations, the performances. We're going to hold everything in the movie up to an Oscars lens, what we think the Oscars chances of it are in a variety of categories, and finally what we think the number of noms it will or has a shot at landing in the Oscars ceremony for 2023. You'll have a spoiler warning at the midway point of the episode, and the second half of the episode is when you'll get all the ins and outs and the spoiler breakdowns of the plot uh, from We Mikes here, and uh, you, you tip the hand a little bit because I don't know how spoilerific we're going to be even able to be for this one. Yeah, and spoilers, it's just going to be us just throwing shit up against the wall and hoping yeah. hoping it sticks, I think. I'm um, going to be grumpy this episode. I am the seventh dwarf. Grumpy Mike, though. We, we've established yeah. that Grumpy Mike will help people cope with the, <laughs> the film. Whatever experience I they have. So. I think yeah. that's helped me. I delight in Grumpy Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I hope that... Uh, this is the effect on all of you in the audience. But look, I mean, written, directed, produced by Jordan Peele, Monkey Paw Pictures, not one Blumhouse. of, if not our favorite current auteur going. Yes, yes. But this is not Jason Blum at all. This is Jordan Peele's production company entirely mm-hmm. with Universal Pictures. Add some Christopher Nolan <laughs> entire departments. Hey, shout out to Universal for like being turning their marketing into one vertically integrated thing right now because mm-hmm. they're on top of their game like no one else. You nailed the Halloween ends thing playing at the front of Nope. That's why it was debuting July 20th. Uh, they There was rumors. Next Best Picture tipped us off to that there might be an Oppenheimer kind of teaser at the beginning of Nope and there sure enough was after all the trailers had been shown 
after the the signature from the movie theater, we saw it in an AMC. After the AMC signature went, we went right into an Oppenheimer look. That was kind of cool. Universal's really on top of their marketing game right now. Yeah, it's not my first uh, summer movie season. Let me tell you, the shots at me is not what you want to be taking this episode, <laughs> all right? <laughs> well, you just complimented me, so I have to deflect it because I'm, I don't like compliments. Uh, so I have to deflect it, but I also have to bravado over, uh-huh. over the top sometimes, and uh, which I know... Again, it pull, pulls the best grumpiness out of Grumpy Mike. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, look, 81% on, my on 186 reviews, 78% audience score. Uh, this is all Rotten Tomatoes. Otherwise, we have a 77 meta score on Metacritic, 7.5 on IMDb last I checked. Uh, in terms of that audience score. And, Michael, we have a $70 million budget, by far the biggest for Jordan Peele, uh, his three films as of yet, with $50 million in terms of the projections for this weekend. And uh, box office Tom Brugerman was talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's July opening in 2019 being somewhat of a comp, a comparison, yeah, a box this. office comp for Nope. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood opened to $41 million back in 2019 for its domestic opening and went on to do 142 domestically, 374 worldwide. I'm sure if uh, those numbers are comparable, which it seems this is going to overshoot those, at least in its early projections for its opening weekend, that's going to be a huge win for Universal and for Peel alike. So do you think it needs to do bigger box office this opening weekend, or do you think a, a film like this will have legs like a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are you at all worried about 50 million being less than us, but more than Get Out, even though Get Out had all the legs in the world? It's a big budget. We saw budgets like this flounder earlier in the year with, like, The Northman. I mean, even if it loses 50% of its share from weekend one to weekend two, which it probably will, if not more, that's still 75 million in its first two weekends. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't think that's anything to be all that concerned about i know historically peel's international box office hasn't been the greatest uh maybe there's a reason to worry there but i still think this would end up making money and what do you think the audience reception of this is going to be do you think people are going to walk out of the theater and and love this movie because we kind of walked out in a haze and everybody else seemed to be something similar yeah that's a good question i don't look maybe it'll help the repeat viewings I mean, I know you want to get your hands on this again and go back and see it. And, I do. And we're the two different types of viewers right here. I just, like, I don't think film should be homework necessarily in terms of digesting things. And or, or you're going to give me subtext. Let me at least have a chance at the subtext the first time through so I know what I want to look for the second time through. And you are okay going back in there and trying to figure it out and piece it together like a puzzle from scratch. So I'm sure those types of viewers exist. So I'm wondering about your expectations then. I'm wondering uh, because, you know, we, we kind of discussed the marketing of this film being different than the last two marketings mm-hmm. where we understood the, the horror genre, subgenre going in. Like we knew where this movie was going to live. And basically my predictions for the type of film, and, and this is not a spoiler, it's very obvious, like we said in analyzing the marketing, we knew what we were getting here. We were getting a versus movie which is simple. Mm-hmm. It's a monster movie, uh, as you put it, uh, several times when we walked out of there. And th- did you still feel like it was going to do much more? And, and maybe it's st- maybe it does, like you said, we're just not taking it in at this moment. 
Yeah, I mean, that's my biggest frustration. And it's also, when I look at these critic scores, I have to laugh because I know these critics. I've, I've, I know their work. I've <laughs> listened to and read up on some of them. And there's no way. I mean, the varied interpretations of this movie that exist out there right now are hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the critics rate this so highly, like, yeah, it's a spectacle to look at, but you can't tell me you understand this movie, or at least the subtext of this movie, if it exists, which I'm sure it does because it is Jordan Peele, but that's my expectation, too. Like, I wanted, I'm used to Jordan Peele's movies not necessarily being at all what's on the screen, and instead being what's on the screen to play in my mind. I didn't get that with this movie, so in that sense, I was let down but I'm let down because I hold Peel in such high regard from his first two movies. And this is not like his first two movies. So it's not like his first two movies in the sense that I think he commits to this genre, this subgenre. He commits to it. I would he, com- agree. he commits to delivering a summer movie. He commits to the spectacle, which I think goes towards the themes of the film based on all of his, his he interviews. nominated for VFX. And you see the money on screen. Yeah, we, we saw it, BTX. We, we got the full universal treatment with the Oppenheimer teaser, etc. The Terrence and Phillip movie trailer all over again there. This <laughs> <is> fire, <laughs> whatever. The hat is weird. Great. Uh, hey, who's that? Isn't he from, you know, Batman Begins? Yeah, great. Yeah, right. um, the Scarecrow. Yeah, I mean, I preferred, like, the Barbie house next to the, you know, the black house on the beach. and. Full. Three-and-a-half-hour movie of The Scarecrow. Can, can Barbie and Oppenheimer just market themselves together, just have a weird double feature for Crossover all of us? Crossover cinematic universe? I'd be okay with that. I guess I guess film Twitter's doing that for us. But look, I think <laughs> Jordan Peele kind of de- he delivers what he promises with this movie, but he does not deliver necessarily what he's given us in previous films. And yeah, is that... A bit frustrating because we want it all at all times. And I I feel the same way you do. I cannot help but be a little let down by this. That's the truth. Now, there are long stretches where we're enjoying this movie. We're laughing. We are cheering. We are freaking out. We are, you know, giggling at each other freaking out. I've never seen you more freaked out (laughs) than at times in this movie. I was freaked out. But there's also several major lulls where you're yawning or going out to get a whatever you do when you go out there. It's just to wake myself up. Never know what you, never know what you're doing. <laughs> what are you doing? I peed. I guess so, if you say so. Uh, so, I, I just I, to get into the composition. This movie is trying to be a hangout movie at times, and I don't think that quite works because it is truly agonizing to watch one of these characters struggle to communicate. Daniel Kaluuya's character, and I know that's a dif- deliberate choice. You also have the grading horror elements that, that when they kick in are, are tough to watch. So it's hard to like hang out and, and chill out in between when these characters are very, these other characters in particular, are very charismatic. So you get some of the hangout goods, but not enough of them to justify, in my opinion, kind of the long breath in between. Uh, a lot of the, the the bigger events because that's what they don't tell you. You got to be patient to watch this movie. This movie takes its time. Yeah, it does. It's slow. It's a slow burn, as at, especially in the first hour. But once you get to where you're going, it ramps you up and it gets you to where you, where you want to go. And then you think, okay, now we're ready. Now we're gonna get all the the, the peel signatures. And I don't know, they were lacking for me. Some of the misdirects are purposely subversive take deflating the 
genre goods. Like there's a there's literally a point in this movie where there's a bunch of jump scares scares, right? Mm-hmm. They they happen one after another and it's fun and it's almost like he's taking the air out of that balloon pretty quick and very obviously and and deliberately again you know it's it's this meta criticism of the genres of horror i like that's the that's what i want to think but like you said does it come together in a cohesive enough way that you can catch it on first glimpse or are you just aggravating the viewer in a way uh making him watch this three or four times to get the whole breadth of it because you don't you don't want that necessarily with a movie that struggles to deliver uh in a thematic way i, I guess what i'm saying is this movie delivers on spectacle, but how well does it deliver on spectacle? And that's yeah, ultimately it's not, where we're going to land. It's a monster movie, but it's not going to go down as one of the greatest monster movies of all time. And if you t- if you leave this leave the theater thinking you have just watched a monster movie and only a monster movie, I don't know. Like I kind of do because I like the subtext and the th- even the theme for the most part is kind of lost on me, which I'm very surprised by for a peel movie. But well, like, I mean, you something that'll be crystallized in another couple years. You're coming away with all the obvious readings you read. You read about it all day and you, 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 you understand that we're going to go into some in spoilers. I, I know there's something I'm missing. I hope, well, but you I, disagree I say, with I hope them. There, is what I I'm hope saying. there's something I'm missing. But I think you disagree with them more than you, you, you don't want to take them at, at uh, at their word, all these movie critics. Again, I think the problem is other people. But my, my point, and, and it, it builds on what you're saying here, is this is not satisfying to me as a UFO movie. I don't think true believers are going to be a good audience for this one. Uh, I don't think true believers are going to be satisfied with this because I think this movie swerves and it's kind of BS according to the mythology and certainly mm. according to the you know, to the faith out there. And I only, look, I have a, a certain relationship with it. I listened to the last podcast on the left, number one, and I, I like them for all my cryptids and my UFO stuff once in a while. And I've seen the documentaries and seen all the movie culture versions of the UFO UAP universe. I don't really ascribe to it. And I'm famously on this program against and an unbeliever. I'm a, I'm a skeptic. I do not believe aliens are out there. Unlike you, I am. Uh, you're the Molder, well, or I'm Scully. Who I pray to the altar of Tom DeLonge, and always have. And you know, I always knew the lead singer from Blink One Eighty Two was going to be the one that blew the whole cover on this alien thing wide open. You're also a big fan of uh, who's that comedian from Ghostbusters? Darn it, Saturday Night Live. Bill Murray. No, same contemporary. He's the big UFO. Dan Aykroyd? Dan Aykroyd, thank yeah. you. Yeah. You're a big Dan Aykroyd guy. You mm. you actually talk like him in a movie theater when you yell at the screen. It sounds exactly <laughs> like him. But only in thank Tommy you. Boy, his role in Tommy Boy. That's what you sound like. But look at this movie frustrates me because the ending doesn't land. However, it's clever, it's funny, it's scary, it's thrilling. There's huge stretches where you get your money's worth and then some. So you walk out of these 132 minutes and symbolism, you know, aside, this plot has managed to surprise you despite all the high expectations. And, and that that worked for me. Uh, it's it's a versus movie. It's what we were, you know, we, we knew we were getting from the marketing and we got it. Except I don't necessarily think they stuck the landing, but I've... Yeah, your I've, brother kind of had the best... He, he and I had... had kind of felt the same we went with uh, one of your younger brothers and yep. in the theater he was like you know that movie had me for like six eighths of it 
and it just didn't feel I didn't feel satisfied by the end. Yeah, so I never pretty much. I never taught him lowest common denominators very well, did I? Uh, yeah, I was. I, I didn't want to say. You know, I was. I was gonna change it to say three fourths on the retelling here in the episode, but I figured I'd stick true to what he actually said. Michael, we did get some good performances, though. However, you spin it, Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya. I Kiki mean, Palmer should be uh, in the conversation right now. Now, does she have to be in the conversation for supporting actress? I've heard this theorized already. Will that be category fraud in your mind? No, I, I think there's four parts to this. I don't think anyone's the main character. I think the main character is the alien. Mm-hmm. So I think there's four or five parts that are all support. Like I would even, I, I couldn't even be mad if someone wanted to argue for Kaluuya to get consideration in supporting actor as opposed to lead actor. I think these are all just like supporting roles. It's more of an ensemble piece for you. Or I- even you could say that the the main character is the. Uh, tether between, I mean, there's irony mm-hmm. using for there a Jordan Peele movie, but the tether between brother and sister. Well, if that's the case, then Kiki Palmer has got a shot, I would say, in supporting actress because there's plenty here. She's got enough screen time for it. She's got the Oscar reel scenes. She's as charismatic as we've ever seen from a supporting character, which typically, you know, you want that that character that you want to hang out with and she is the part of this duo that you certainly want to hang out with there are there are times in this movie where i'm begging for more kiki palmer scenes because Mm -hmm. she's just so much fun and daniel kaluuya is is really tough to watch just how man does he have range i mean to have that guy from get out to black mirror to this character and losing him he's one of the great actors we have right now in real life he talks like mrs harris who went to paris yeah yeah we're watching all his interviews and he's like oh I'll do my. Uh, and he's so charismatic and Gregorious and like la- affable and all these like fun adjectives. And then you get this character where he's pulling this guy off who doesn't like speaking up, pretty much mumbles through all his lines. It's like it's unbelievable. Acting. He communicates with the horses and the animals better than he does with with people, and he does it on the job and in and in life. So that's that's hard to to watch sometimes because you feel for him and. Mm-hmm. That's a bummer, and again, it kind of holds you back with the hangout part of the movie, but these other characters are a joy, and I would say that Brandon Perea and yes. Michael Wincott, the two mm-hmm. you know, uh, helpers to this duo, they're, they're a lot of fun. Steven Yun's character is a lot of fun, Keith David, etc., I, I enjoyed this ensemble, uh, and and these performances are unique, and and you know they're, they're showcases as they always are in a Daniel uh, or Jordan Peele movie, as we saw with uh, you know launching the career of Mike from Judas and the Black Messiah. He just got nominated two years ago. Lakeith Stanfield, Jesus, my brain. Lakeith Stanfield, of course. Sorry to bother you. You know he Jordan Peele. That one scene where he's freaking out at the party launched Lakeith St- Stanfield. You know, it, obviously he he did well earlier in his career for, uh, what was that? Oh, here I'm doing it again. You, I'm just gonna let you flail. Just let me just <laughs> enough rope. The one with Brie Larson, the movie with Brie Larson. Um, Lakeith, short term twelve. Short term twelve. I'm turning it to our parents. <laughs> Anyway, I think uh, I think these performances are great. Michael, continue. Yeah, <laughs> please bail me out. Uh, no, I'm with you. I, I perfectly casted. 
greatly acted, even though I think the script does the couple of the ancillary characters wrong and raises more questions than gives us answers towards the end of the movie as to what the hell these characters are doing and their motivations. I guess we can, can touch on that in spoilers if it comes up. But yeah, I, I mean, Michael Wincott, I, I don't know that it's the type of performances that'll get Academy recognition, especially for a summer blockbustery type film. But Michael Wincott and Brandon Perea, especially, are wonderful. I mean, as is Steven Yeun. Keith Davis plays his part, even though it's a very small role. Yeah, this is a wonderfully acted movie. And I love the production values, which, in my opinion, is another, you know, just obvious strength of the film. First and foremost, I was not score deaf in this one. The The music by Michael Abels, and I've enjoyed his... He's incredible. Mike, he does this great Western, old Hollywood score for this movie. It sounds like it's from Tombstone, you know, the... the Kurt Douglas, Kurt Douglas, uh, Kurt Russell movie. Yeah, the boy. <laughs> really swimming upstream right now. Really swimming upstream. Just gulping water, gulping it, and trying to swim, which I'm not very good at. Uh, this this score, this music, sound like old timey Hollywood. I think that's deliberate. I hope that's more Oscary because Michael Abels has been overlooked in our opinion yeah for us in particular mm -hmm. get out he did the store score as well he has two emmy noms for alan versus Farrell. he's got a choir he's got an orchestra i would just love to see this translate at the end of the day and then when you know you look going back and listen to the score is fun too because it's more adventure than horror movie in terms of the music so it is a lot of fun to listen to i don't know who's in charge if it's michael abels if it's jordan peele if it's some other member uh, in the post I don't know who's in charge of picking the song from the 90s and remixing it and slowing it down for Jordan mm. Peele's uh, movies in these scenes. I mean, I got five on it, obviously. The remix was a huge part of us. There's another song, I'm sure we'll touch on it in spoilers, that plays a huge part in this movie that's slowed down, remixed, and chopped up. My God, is it perfect. 1980s, I, please, but yes. Uh, is it? Is it 1980? Oh, this was 19... You're right, you're right. I got five on it. Was not, yeah, you're right. This was 1980s, definitively. Absolutely. My fault there. Um, and 1984, the year of my birth. I don't know yeah. when Jordan Peele was born. I think he was born a few years earlier. He's a little yeah, older yeah. than us, but yes, sir. Uh, let's talk about cinematography and special effects together, because I think you know Christopher Nolan's crews are in charge of both. We have Scott R. Fisher, the special effects coordinator, two-time Oscar winner from Tenet and Interstellar. We have Hoyt Van Hoytema of Dunkirk, Ad Astra, Spectre, but all the Nolan films, Tenet, Interstellar as well there. They're working together, coordinating these CGI effects, practical effects within you know this valley, mm -hmm. and it, these IMAX cameras, and it looks seamless. It looks, looks incredible. Totally real, right? I mean, there wasn't an off image in this film I saw, for me. The only the only thing that was off visually to me uh had to do with a couple scenes involving an animal that I thought it was pretty obvious that animal wasn't actually an animal or at least not a live but uh, but the way the in which the animal was used in the scene it, I don't think it could be anything other than CGI or mocap or something so I'm forgiving it but the spectacle of the saucer, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. and the aliens and the chase scenes. And, and oh my goodness, does this look? I mean, you could see somebody on Twitter said Marvel should be ashamed of itself after watching No, but I completely agree with how every Marvel movie has looked since Endgame versus how Jordan Peele used VFX in this movie. It looks incredible. 
So the spectacles really work for us, and they don't skimp on the spectacles. You're, they're going for it, and yep. I give them a lot of credit no, for that. No, you see where the money goes. You see every dollar on the screen. Finally, and to get into our Oscars lens, I think the sound design is terrific. Yes. And again, it's also very fun because it could have been much more grating and aggravating. It's terrifying in moments, and I think that's unique. And I think there's like negative sp- space in a way that's not the right term but there's it's dead the air notes that they don't play it's the notes that they don't play <laughs> which is what i've always said separates a sound it's not, i mean a sound design a sci-fi movie lends itself well to sound design and if it's done well and you figure on a blockbuster stage it would be so long as it's not you know battlefield earth it'll be probably given some kind of recognition and consideration by the academy as it should be and this is no different i mean the the way in which the sounds the otherworldly sounds are handled and created i could watch a documentary about how the alien sounds were made in the, for this movie how yeah. do you how does somebody sitting in their Absolutely. family room with a couple microphones lined up get the sound for that ufo essentially that we got I, I would love to watch that documentary as well, and I hope that they release such a thing to Oscar voters and Academy members. Yeah. That would be wise. We've seen it pay off, uh, certainly, in the past. But I think Jordan Peele is really growing in his abilities to conduct this process on a massive scale. So this is fun to see. Like Everybody's been asking him about bigger budget movies. Is he going to take on a franchise eventually? I don't want him to. No, never, never. Good. Richard Newby posted this last night on Twitter. He doesn't want to see Jordan Peele ever do somebody else's story because but he could so though in- oh uh, yeah oh, that's the, come on obviously no question but i don't think i want to see it i just want to see this guy create so sound design is that your strongest or does cinematography vfx so vfx is your strongest nom i would say sound design's pretty strong so we're looking at two very obvious uh obvious paths for oscar nominations for nope so this is an oscars profile no doubt about it i do Want to bang the table for Michael Abel's an original score, even as a makeup. I hope nom. so, man. But, I mean, what, what what else does he have to do? Yeah. So, but here's the thing: like a movie like this, we would have thought original screenplay. We would have thought. Well, that Kiki was going to be my question for you because I think you're higher on this overall than I am. What do you, Kiki Palmer? I hope gets consideration. I don't know if she'll have the legs just because this is a summer release versus what's coming up in the winter. We tease that all the time, but I hope she is there at the end of the day. I would love to see her nominated in the supporting category. Do you think this gets consideration at the end of the day for original screenplay or directing at all? It does not work as a monster movie for us at the end yeah. of the day, even though long stretches work. And I'm gonna ex- I'm gonna explain why. And a lot of that's been conditioned through the genre, where I'm expecting certain things to go a certain way, and there when and when it doesn't, and when he's subversive, and I think he's doing it deliberately. However, you know that to me, you know, with all our expectations, I almost wish I haven't seen as many movies in some cases. That's so like he. I how much of this is that we were disappointed for disappointment's sake, and how much of this is that we were held prisoner by the un godly expectations that jordan peele shouldn't it's not fair that we hold him up to and that's why i want to see it again mike because sometimes when the pressure is off on a rewatch i could take it in and enjoy it much more and then infuriate you upon the review (laughs) uh so much more exponentially but you didn't let me do that today we had to get down to business no i'm kidding i i I, I couldn't i couldn't couldn't. if i had to hear your theory on top of the (laughs) ridiculous theories i've they were that different i would have lost it uh i think uh this so let's explains, talk about your theories and spoilers yeah so let's, <laughs> but this explains your mental state throughout the history of our podcast uh-huh, again uh-huh. and we're learning All about right, ourselves we're learning. To, uh, activate grumpy mode let's get into spoilers <laughs> spoilers ahead 
This is a spoiler warning. So I guess this will be my tone of voice for the remainder of this episode. This is the spoiler <laughs> section. This is the spoiler section for the movie Nope, the Oscars profile episode brought to you by Mike Mike and Oscar. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause. Go to your local theater. Go check it out. We'll be here waiting for you to come back and hit play on the rest of this episode with us. If you've seen Nope already or if you're just curious to hear our thoughts or if we've hyped up the spoiler section so much and you need to hear me keep a monotone, low profile, unenthusiastic voice while Mike... Tells me the secrets of the world and is sure that he's right about the interpretation of this movie. This is where you want to be. All spoilers all the time for Jordan Peele's third feature film, Nope, the Oscars Profile episode by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. All right. Mm-hmm. How is this going to work, Mike? Are you just going to pitch me and I'm going to like no. give you the gladiator thumbs up, thumbs down as to whether or not? Because I, I, I have not read your spoiler section of this doc. Mostly I'm asking questions, and I'm, I'm, okay. I wrote down a bunch of stuff that other people have been saying, and I wanted to that start... That was a mistake, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, in, in, a, in a way, we're going to be together on uh-huh. asking questions. So, no, I don't want to pretend like I have any answers. I don't have this one figured out, or what, how do I call it? I don't have this one cracked. There's no crack. This is one is there this a is theme- without crack. Yeah, I think the, I think there's a lot there's a lot of symbolism. Do you buy into the symbolism. Hollywood the Hollywood's chewing people up and spitting them out is the main theme? I think I think that makes some sense. I think there's cursory. That's the one I I had less anger with, but I also think it's a little too plain. Well, I think there's layers to to movies and I think when a guy as smart as Jordan Peele has a project that he's been working on for four years and mm-hmm. there's a pandemic and he takes his time writing it during the pandemic. Yeah. I think, I think he can layer it thematically. I also think he enjoys doing this because when you have a movie that's built on a twist, which is not this movie, as everybody said, right. You know, you could just throw symbolism in there and conf- it's, they act as Mr. X, but at, at the same time you risk going too far. And I think, for us, maybe he went too far because for us, for us to have to watch all of the white guys on Twitter explain to us about the significance of the colorful, wacky, waving, inflatable, arm flailing tube men <laughs> in every one of their articles, I just want to. You scream. see, the ship just... was white. I, I did that. Like I fell victim to that in the preview. We I discussed that on this episode, and I said, I hope I can't imagine that it's that simple that Peel is doing that and I think that was a misdirect and I appreciate him kind of thumbing his nose at all of us with that yeah I think he's doing some meta commentary here and I also think there's a satirical edge because I think you use you know a time like this when you're angry I think I think a lot of us were angry during the pandemic when he wrote this I think he's I think he's an angry dude a lot of comedians are angry and there's there's a lot of hidden subtext where he's pissed off at the whether it's the industry whether it's you know because you have frustrated characters you have characters that are just dying to you know break out of of all their bad habits in this movie so to me there's a lot of angst there and you start out with a bible verse from the book of nahum which is a, just in the Hebrew Bible, uh, I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. My God, we have uh, Nahum who uh, foretold, mo- uh, mostly foretold uh, doom. He was a doomsayer, Michael. Destruction, uh, okay. according to Al- Alyssa Wilkinson. But that starts off the movie. So there's just this tone of... 
you know, you're going to get, you're going to get all this, um, you know, you're going to get a lot of ominous symbolism. And I think that's there. Now, do I, do I think this is an allegory? Like some people say they, everybody takes these symbolic connections and then they're like, this is what the movie means. One, two, three, let me put out my six minute video the day after I see it. Yeah. And that infuriates me. And I'm sure I wonder if it infuriates Jordan Peele. Okay. I'm, I'm still listening. I'm not turning you off yet. Uh, but there's, you know, there's also some things in the film and I'm going to, it just bothers me that like the Mr. X were some of the most fun I had. Like when that kid stood up in that, you freaked out. I free, I did not see that kid. And as if I already didn't know this, what I'm really most afraid of is children. <laughs> so there's a part in the movie where we know, I mean, it's pretty much been confirmed that aliens are going to play a role in this movie, but we don't exactly know what they're doing. And, and Kaluuya is walking through the stables and it's very well shot in the background. You He's see hearing all these jitters and things. He, there's and, something around. Yeah. And then you see this creature kind of separate itself from the shadows very slowly. And you could see it's fully formed and it's got an alien head and you lost it. It's a child in a mask. And it's literally a, a of, child in a mask. There are several children in masks and they're, <laughs> Oh, they're from the, they're from the, uh, out Steven Yoon's the yeah. theme park and they're Steven Yoon's kids. Yeah. And, they're there to get revenge because she stole the horse from, you know, the fake horse that the, the alien ate. And obviously the fake horse gave it to Ajita, as my parents would say. And yes. the Ajita uh, made him puke blood over the whole house and yes. get really mad. And look, what are we talking about? <laughs> the fake scare, the fake scare foreshadowed the film's biggest twist, which to me is a bit of a letdown. It's not a ship. It's an animal. So already you're subverting the genre, the expectations. Why show us the inside of it? It's a bummer. Well, like why show a- us that black bo- black box middle from the inside when it's sucking up all Steven Yoon's crowd members? Why, what is what? It was that scary. It was scary, okay. and I just don't like the scariest part of the movie in the middle of the movie. Like to me, that was the height of the horror of the film, right? And sure, you blew that load in the middle of the movie. Towards the end of Act Two, but yeah, okay. Like that's the scariest part. Why? It's towards the end, but I, you know, I don't know. I view that as the midpoint because that's the A and that's the A and B stories colliding, right? You have this terrifying well, B story. Well, it is because the connection to the to the chimp story. The my chimp goes God, off. so beautifully done. I mean, it's part of my frustration, too, because if you're going to have meta meeting in a giant theme, you couldn't have set it up better than starting the movie having nothing to do with the aliens or Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer's character. And you're on a TV set where a chimp has gone nuts and attacked people. Harrowing. Oh, my God. Scary. We've we've heard in our news cycle in Connecticut. Yes. This happened recently. I don't know if it was 10 years years ago. ago. Yeah. We all say a couple years ago. I think it was like 17 years ago. 20 years ago. It was still 1980, right? We all agree on that? <laughs> Michael, <laughs> this happened up in these parts, and it was a huge national story yes. where this chimp ripped a woman's face ripped off. Ripped a woman's face off. Horrifying stuff. Horrifying. And that's that was the big reveal. While you were out at the bathroom, the big reveal was his co-star is the girl with no jaw. Yeah. I don't know the, if you uh, got that. The, the, what we were referring to as, is that a monkey lady in the... Uh, in the previews, I mean, what happened to that woman's face? Is it a horse face? What is it? We knew there was some kind of tie-in with horses, but that was the, this chimp, they were on this, Hey Gordy was the name of the show, 
that mm-hmm. Daniel, Col- uh, I'm sorry, Stephen Yoon was a child actor on that focused, used a real chimp. And the chimp, I thought, wasn't VFXed incredibly well, mm-hmm. but because they needed it to be a chimp that loses its mind and literally murders humans with its bare hands, they couldn't use a real chimp, which I completely understand. <laughs> so I'm willing to forgive that not being VFXed incredibly well, maybe not being mocap the best, but... Hey, Gordy had a chimpanzee as one of its main characters, and the backdrop, and we keep getting flashbacks to this, was on set one day. They were filming a birthday episode for Gordy, which was the name of the monkey. The balloons pop, and the monkey loses its shit in real life and rips one uh, cast member's face off and presumably kills one or two others. So clearly you either hire Andy Serkis or why bother? Maybe Chris Kattan. Right. Maybe Chris right. Kattan as the movie established. No, but this we love had... the love the Meepers callback, by the way, that they insert into this too. They, Very they had funny. That yeah, great job. And we had so like you said, the opening sequence is is this scene. They flash to it when Steven Yun is like daydreaming, and then of course he finishes his daydream right before he goes out and delivers this performance which was very short-lived because essentially he opens up this, you know, little box with a horse in it, one of the horses that Daniel Kaluuya is, you know, essentially loaning his theme park, his little Western theme park, this former child actor, you know, who just thought about his whole life before he comes and serves this horse up on a silver platter to the alien, except the horse won't walk out. And it's very smartly won't walk out to be sucked into the sky. So what does the alien do? It sucks in the whole audience, including Stephen Young. And then we watch them crawl through colon inside the alien, <laughs> which is disgusting yeah. and terrifying. And they're all screaming. And it's yuck. Yeah. And that was to, to me, that was the ter- scariest part of the movie. And it works into, you know, OJ's read on the, uh, on the, on the animal is like, you don't try and tame a predator. You only, you only make a deal with a predator. And that's, I guess, which is all stuff I got. And that's it's just it's plainly in the movie. And that's fine. You're severing the A and B story. So there's no B story going beyond that, which is very weird that they just use this to kind of be the step to the monster movie finale. You know, well, I guess the B story then would be trying to get it on camera. Right. Because that's kind of the one of the storylines too is that Kiki Palmer which is shown in the trailer but Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya are trying to figure out a way in which to get this alien on film because they want their Oprah moment and they want to have the definitive proof of alien life and it's tough to do because when this alien is around all electronics get shut down right it's territorial it shuts down all electronics and cell phones mm-hmm. so internet not just like any ba- anything with a battery which is just impossible but fine uh, don't look it in the eye. Don't put a camera on it. I guess same difference. Uh, it can get an upset stomach. It barfs or snot rockets, coins and nickels, which killed the father earlier that they thought fell from a plane in the in the second it scene. It expunges everything it sucks up that's not... And that's why I thought it was... I didn't understand that Stephen Union was serving up the horse to be eaten because I thought for a while that this thing only ate humans that stared at it. And, and I thought there was going to be some and, kind of, like dialogue about looking you know our fascination with looking not being satisfied with what's in front of us but that wasn't to be so predators like this are completely preposterous to me because like and 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 unfortunately i have to apply regular person logic to this because i'm not a nature guy but i've seen my octopus teacher and 74 other nature docs and (laughs) You know, I have had pets my whole life, and I get that predators will peacock and will try and intimidate. But a predator like this that's this insatiably hungry 
mm-hmm. could not survive and be unknown. Also, a predator like this that has to, you know, fight when threatened and with all this arrogance, with all this confrontational, uh, you know, character. Are you kidding me? Why would it? And everybody's like, yeah, man, this is why, you know, flying saucers are out there, man. And they have been saying all this. They have been attacking people all these years, man. Well, I disagree. <laughs> I don't believe you. And uh, it's just drones that were tested by uh, the military uh, for years. Because before we had drones, somebody was testing drones. That's my opinion. And I'm an a-hole for for using that tone of voice. I can't wait until the aliens probe you first. This this is an impossible task for Jordan Peele because you got to stick to the mythology but also give us something new. Well, he gave us something new, but he doesn't stick to the mythology. I'm just calling bullshit on this whole monster. Like, the monster doesn't... Yeah, it makes sense, but it it, it doesn't make sense. Like, this thing would not exist and i love i love the fact that he jokes it away and they sing the one-eyed one-horned flying purple people eater or william shatner there you know gurgles it out in, in, his, <laughs> in his gravel voice and he, it's spoken word i love that yeah. i love that because i remember that song when i was a kid in the mid 80s i don't know if you remember that song but me and jordan peele were kids in the mid 80s that song was pretty popular remember that thing so i remember the song yeah i like that this thing has a place in mythology yes we're, we're meant to believe that it's been you know what flying saucers have been confused with all all these years it's not a ship it's an animal it's a purple people leader it's there's a legend behind it but then it has to peacock when threatened and it and whoever threatens it it has to like do this humongous like giant flowery lily you know, formation. Turn and into I, bed sheets. Turns into all these bed sheets and all these sails and this origami sail thing. And I <laughs> look, I, thematically, I get that this works because the thing is not as ominous as, as it should be. It's not as scary as it should be, even though it kind of is because it's a death machine up Giant to that point. vagina, yeah. It was really funny to hear the bathroom conversation that I heard, by the way. I don't know if you heard it, but two kids, two teenagers were arguing about what a vagina looks like. Because one guy's like, <laughs> one guy's like, you know, man, it's not. I'm just going to use this voice. He's from the 1970s and Cheech and Chong were his, uh, were his kin. No, he's like, you know, man, it's not actually what a vagina looks like. I've seen vaginas. You haven't seen vaginas. They were how this is how they're talking to each other. They're obviously teenagers, like the knuckleheads that I work with. Perfect, perfect. And then the other kid, of course, he did not say anything back mm-hmm. at him. He just mm-hmm. he was caught. He was caught in his lie. It was oh, no, a vir- I am a virgin. <laughs> Basically, what he said. I could, you know, I didn't want to look him in the eye, but I can. I could feel the redness coming off right. of his well, face. Well, if you looked him in the eye, he was going to freak out and suck you up into his colon. That's right. So, <laughs> look, I guess based on these rules, and they they kind of mention the rules of the monster. All these these animals have rules. Again, outside of the fast food restaurant, Jordan Peele but does a nice so much, job. There's so much good in this movie. Like mm-hmm. the rules are so flimsily explained, but he he substantiates the Kaluuya character so well that it's like when Kaluuya is just spitting out, Oh yeah, it's alive. It eats people. You can't look at it in the eye. You're just like, Oh, okay. That, that works. And it's it was enough. done. I've seen it done a billion other ways in yep. other movies where it's like, there's no justification for those rules. How is this guy able to just spit this out and be accepted as fact and be right. That would frustrate me to no end, but because it was done in this movie and the way Jordan Peele did it, 
I was along for the ride. Like, that heightens the frustration for me because there was so much that he's able to do that other directors get caught up in that bother me that he, I, I look the other, I don't even look the other way. I just accept it because I feel like it's been proven enough in this movie. And yet still, I was like, oh, that's the ending, huh? And I'm I'm disappointed in the sense that they improvise, they improvise the killing of this beast this monster with the giant helium cowboy balloon and if that's not this symbol of the most cinematic popular archetype in hollywood history the cowboy i don't know what is but look at i mean obviously this cowboy balloon helium of helium explodes when it when it tries to bite it in there whatever that box is if it's it's vagina if it's uh if it's its mouth if it's its face i don't know what it is but the helium explosion kills it, especially when it's in its peacocked form. All right, I get that. Fine. And she does. She uses Chekhov's well camera, as yeah. you put it, yeah. as you put it when we walked out to take the picture of it. And she, it's a win-win for her. It's all everything Kiki Palmer at that point. Mike, I'm frustrated with this improvisational finale because they actually work together to help each other and save each other up to that point even though there was a lot of flailing and confusion and aggravation, you know, with the well, side when you characters. say they helped each other, I mean, it's brother and the sister. brother and Kalea sister. And Palm because, and this is where the frustration I talked about in the non-spoiler section comes in, the the cinematographer, Michael Wincott's character, Antlers Hulse, and Brandon Perea, who does a great job playing the kind of burnout, uh, what's the Best Buy tech help there, obviously, that they were parodying? Genius, just something the, genius, not genius, genius squad, yeah, the, um, geek yeah, squad. the geek squad, the geek squad equivalent there. I mean, they're great in justifying why they're there at the finale, but they just kind of walk away for no reason. The The cinematographer wants the impossible shot, but didn't he just get the impossible shot as a team with the rest of the crew? No, he has to kill himself, essentially, get sucked into the vortex while he's still filming, and that's the impossible shot. And he says something like, we don't deserve impossible. Like, what was that? Like this is this I mean he that's why I think this movie is like very symbolic in a sense very satirical because he's the art for art sakes guy and he right. and he's Sisyphus flying too close to the sun I do one it. for them and then I do one for me right so come on man I mean, it's again it's on it's very on the nose and it's this swerve towards the end which is very aggravating and it's a very aggravating finale because everything worked out to plan even with the complication of the TMZ biker dude it worked to plan and you have brother and sister helping each other helping trying to help the the TMZ dude but helping each other and, and standing up to this monster and, and looking it in the eye, even though they know they, they're not supposed to do that, but they're doing that for each other. And then all of a sudden she's like wandering for a while and I'm yelling at her. I'm yelling like anybody in a horror movie, like, get, get away. What are you doing? Where are you going? And she kind of gets lucky to get away from the damn thing. The brother helps a little bit. But she picks up the bike. Was it all done to justify the, the shot of Kaluuya at the end to have it be a callback to the the first moving picture, the black well, guy on the horse. Yeah, but pe- and people are speculating that that... Because he's framed, obviously, like that. People are his- speculating that he's dead, actually, at the very end of the movie. And that that's the... Shut up. In her mind's eye. Yeah. Shut up. People are reading too just much. Sh- just say you don't get it. There's no... I'm out here. We do 700 <laughs> episodes of this shit. I'm out here multiple times a week. You can say you don't get it, and it's okay. Right. They should say they don't get it. How dare they? How dare they? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, you know, the sky is just as un- un- unknown as the deep sea ocean. Shut up. 
It doesn't make sense. Just say you don't get it. All right. So now let's move on to the portion where I describe what everybody says this movie is about. <laughs> and uh, you react. No, look, yeah. I think, look, Andrew Archow, Laura Zornosa of Time Magazine, they admit to the fact that, yes, there's a lot of readings on this film because there are symbolic threads to pick up upon. And a lot of these are important. There's the critique of surveillance culture, uh, and they, they go on about policing the black community and if the alien is, in fact, always watching them from inside. That That would have been great. I don't think that was hit on hard enough, if that's there. Well, they, they, they make the case for it, and it's a compelling case. There's uh, the critique on blacks, black history record-keeping and the archiving that of all I th- black, I black. That I agree with. I've seen that. I agree with that, and I think that's a big. that's definitely a theme. And but again, it's not the pervasive. It's not an overriding arch throughout the movie. I don't think either. Yeah, and it's a but it's a deliberate misstep when the Haywoods put the record keeping in in the hands of the white cinematographer, and that's that's a deliberate uh, move. There's the critique of capitalism because you have TMZ, you have all these forces where they're trying to get the Oprah shot, and you know it's that's kind of one of the more obvious one. But there's this line, you know, they quote a line between obsessive craftsmanship and obsessive commerce creation, uh, and those become indistinguishable as it's as pretty it's, much again, on its face too, because you have the Brandon right. Perea character at the dinner table saying, you know, they're trying to talk everyone into that they're actually doing this for some greater good and not just a financial benefit. And then in terms of the predator prey kind of set up and the fact that she's the one to kill the beast by the end of it, there's a very obvious, you know, critique of me too, uh, not critique of the me too movement, but a representation of the me too movement and the monsters of Hollywood, especially white Hollywood and the predatory nature of, of basically, uh, there's no mistake. Yeah. There's no mistake. You know, you can make all the jokes about the the multicolored, wacky, wavy arm inflatable me- tube men you want, but the the monster was white for a reason. You know, I mean, there's that's right. I think inescapable. And it's a white eye. It's a white right. You know, the white gaze, if 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 you will. And then a lot of people shouldn't uh, say that phrase, and maybe I shouldn't as well. But it's far. It's way too late in the episode to have the disclaimer. But as always, when we talk about this stuff, we understand that we are too white dudes who don't know and can't relate to a lot of this stuff well that that's the thing i'm willing to accept that a lot of this stuff is there and the cases are obvious you know heavy spoilers made a good case for the history of hollywood Mm -hmm. uh being being a factor here and there's a lot of references to this you know silent filmmaking and the history of motion pictures etc and there's there's probably a lot of symbolism in that regard uh from you know the costuming to the to the the you know the fact that child stars are the most vulnerable i mean there's a Mm -hmm. lot of inferences here so i think i think this can play into some rewatches the problem that i keep coming back to is it a good enough movie especially as a monster movie to want to rewatch it so many times to want to dive into it to want to hang out with it to want to and i i think there's definitely an academic curiosity for me because the filmmaking is so damn good and we, we talked about that with the production values. So I will rewatch this at some point uh, for that reason, at the very least, especially as we get into Oscar season and we start to compare and contrast everything. But I just don't know what the goods uh, to deliver. I don't know if the goods delivered are high enough to put it on a similar uh, 
level as his previous two films, in my opinion. And I was, you know, I was down on us compared to Get Out, even though there, I was very high on both. I think I had B plus eighty nine for us, and then Get Out was an A movie for the both of mm-hmm. uh, the both of us, Mike's back then. Yeah, I, I, you know, the does it have enough merit to stand on its own, and is it worth the rewatches just on its own? That's kind of the question I struggle with most too. Is that if I'm going to rewatch something, I need to be enticed back to the theater for some reason. I, I don't. I'm sure there's symbolism and there's there's stuff I'm missing. Like you, you made a big deal about the orange. Uh, the orange hoodie too, which is something that didn't cross my mind. Well, it's, it's ob- yeah, it's obvious. I mean, especially when you you talk about the surveillance culture, uh, the white surveillance culture uh, criticism there, and Time Magazine mentioned that. But look at it, the way they ended their piece in Time Magazine was that it was the caption: "Nope, it's probably just a monster movie," like you said, and, well, that, nope, and that's we're, we're all overthinking takeaway. it. Yeah, that's my biggest takeaway: is that like. It's it's entirely possible that Jordan Peele just wanted to make a monster movie, and, and it's I mean, Quentin Tarantino possible. wanted to make a kung fu movie. You know it's what a, I mean? He wanted to make a western. It's entirely possible that Jordan Peele led us down all these paths right. on purpose, and then there's something we're missing where he's like, "No, it's just a it's just a monster movie, you white idiots." Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I mean, I think that's in play. I don't know that that's yeah. I think that's in play as well. I just, I wish I, you know, I wish we had time maybe to, do, you know, to watch it again. And my own arrogance thinks I could have cracked that's, it. Right. And that's, that's where I think we're to blame for this. Because if that's the case, this is a fine enough monster movie. The frustration comes in that, like, well, it's Jordan Peele. Of course he's going to be taking that. The guy took down racism in his first two movies. You know, of course he's going to have some kind of, that's not fair to do that to him. Right, and because we don't do that to other directors. Like if this was, yeah. if this was a, a Robert Eggers film, a Robert Eggers monster movie, or a Denis Villeneuve, you know, if this was Arrival two, mm-hmm. we'd be talking about this without the disappointment attached. I have a different, you know, recipe for why my I didn't love The Northman and Robert Eggers. I think that I think his missteps come from. I think indulgence and to trying to tell a Viking folklore story to the letter and, and as it was meant to always be told and we've, as a society, we've completely graduated, I hope from those, that stupid way of telling a story because they were a bunch of rockhead, you know, just nightmarish murderers in that society when they were telling those stories. My point is, if you took this movie, every scene of it, Mm -hmm. every, every, everything of it, and it was just, uh, you know, by uh, Antoine Fuqua, even, you know, you would think, oh, this is a good monster movie. You wouldn't be disappointed that there's no theme. But we've we've done this ourselves. Like, oh, that's a pretty good monster movie. This 30-minute sequence was awesome. And the middle of this movie was awesome. But isn't our disappointment heightened by the fact that it's Jordan, Jordan Peele? And isn't that unfair? It's completely unfair. And that's why we've said it from the first episode of our podcast. Expectations rule the day. Mm-hmm. And that's why the fact that everybody tries to be objective is, is is well-intentioned. But it's never achieved, in my opinion. We are all at the mercy of our own subjectivity and our own expectations. And, and certainly at uh, the accomplishments of previous films. And no more is that the case than with someone who's an Oscar winner. Right. 
you know, this is an odd, this is a, a follow up to, you know, a, a really great movie and, a, and which was a follow up to an Oscar winning film and a phenomena. So look, I mean, if he makes two hundred and fifty five million dollars on the nose again, I'm gonna I guess he's done that in two movies in a row. Yeah, right. <laughs> Worldwide gross within six hundred thousand of each other. That'll be. Uh, something to to track for us on Oscar race checkpoints. I do think it's it's worth the rewatch in terms of the the production values and like I said, I, I can enjoy pieces of it, chunks of it. But unless like there's some kind of satirical slant that I'm not getting, and I'm open to hearing that. So by all means, people out there, let us know. Right, like what I we're want, missing. I I want. The, now I'm having a fucking existential crisis because like I want there to be, but now I'm thinking like this is totally me. This is my fault. He didn't ask to, to have that kind of expectation. He's just making movies he wants to make. Well, it is your fault. It's my fault, too. You don't right. get it. Right. So, but because you want me to tell you this. You don't want me to tell you, no, 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 watch it again. No, you want me to tell you it's your fault, Grumpy Mike. Yeah, that's It correct. is your fault. I want You're the right. weight of the world on these How shoulders. How dare you? How dare you not, you know, watch a movie once and understand it Let me go back to conclusively. Pushing this boulder up this hill in perpetuity. <laughs> you know, we watched a movie once, on a, uh, you know, on a night out together. You took a break, did whatever you you do. Watch the January 6th hearings. <laughs> Put me in just a great frame of mind. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know, man. I think uh, I think there's a lot of stuff to, to really enjoy in this movie, which is, makes this grading process impossible. Because Yeah, and that's the next. I mean, look. I guess for your money's worth, dear listener, you're at least not getting that the usual complaints of this story disappointed us. You're at least getting real reasons that we were let down and disappointed by this, even though they're, I guess, objectively and wholly you know, unfair. I never even got to my my big point about Kiki Palma that I promised, though. But yeah, I think, you know, the the typical story will show you like she's learned a skill, right? She learned this earlier in the movie. And then she applies that lesson to the end of the movie. That's the mm-hmm. hero's journey. That's the that's the right. conditioned response, especially in a monster movie, right? But the she doesn't all she learns that there's a well camera, but that has nothing to do with yeah, I mean she learned that the thing has gets Ajita, but she doesn't I mean she uses her brain, she's the brains behind the operation, she's running every room she's in. So I have no problem with her having the agency and her winning the movie. She should win the movie. But when you don't recall to something you know earlier seated and earlier established in her character and then she just figures shit out at the end i just feel like that's a little cheap in terms of a two-hour story so this movie doesn't progress like a normal monster movie to me i just that's my most frustrating Hmm. movement at the end like even if the the even if i don't want to see the flying saucer become anything else and peacock out because i don't that's that's another disappointment for me. I don't want to see the, the flying saucer peacock out. Do you that's not want silly. to see it or do you just not care? Because I, I don't do, care. I am scared enough of the flying saucer. Yeah. So if the you tell me the flying saucer is just this real-life starfish monster and it just sucks people in, great. Don't show it changing its form. That works thematically because it turns into this blustering, you know, monstrous Hollywood I don't even know symbolism. how it works thematically because you're going to tell me that monster was able to stay hidden for however many That's years? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's a bullshit twist. Right. It's, a, it's a bullshit complication. 
it's it's bullshit. It works symbolically, and you're putting symbol over substance or symbol over plot. Especially in the surveillance state that we live in now. You know? Right. Yeah. And then, of course, you're subverting these you know, typical expectations that we have where characters got to kind of earn that finale. And unless I, it's look, a, a, unless, I mean, here's again, me giving Peel credit or disappointment when it's done, but like, unless he's trying to make a statement that it's just, you know, when you try to criticize the white oversight that it just grows exponentially and becomes yeah. an even bigger force. And it blusters, but it's really, it's really hollow behind that. Right. And it could be exploded with a bunch of hot air. It'll still and suck the, you up and spit you out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's and it just consumes flesh. I mean, there's all kinds of obvious, right? You know, overt symbolism there. But you could say the same thing about the xenomorph. Mm-hmm. You know, there's obvious overt symbolism about the xenomorph. I have no problems with that necessarily. I just I have more problems with like the story structure. So no, I don't think it's gonna be an adapted uh, original screenplay contender at the end of the day. And uh, sorry to just completely derail the the outro here but that's... no 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 no. i mean it's it's good for setting up grades too because that's you know the natural question for me to how to end this to you is that there's obviously a lot of faults that you and i both have for this for one of our greatest auteurs and we've had this kind of introspective look as to whether how much of that is fair to do at all so where do you land i know you said it's an impossible grade to give out i agree with you but where you know we have to do it what do you do? Do you want to do this in separate parts? Do you separate the story from your expectations in those grades? What do you do? How do you grade this? I, I guess I got to go back to my watch experience. And I enjoyed much of this movie, if not most of this movie. And when I enjoy a movie, I'm not going to, for, for the most part, I'm not going to give it a bad grade. It's mm-hmm. hard for me to give it a bad grade, even though I disagree with it or I don't get it. And I'm open to all those possibilities but you know someone who had to do x amount of years of screenwriting prep and schooling and all that stuff like this breaks rules and i think it does it on purpose and and i'm okay with that i just don't understand how that fits in right now so for me to give it anything higher than a b minus i would be disingenuous in doing that but for me to are give you it, fucking ki- i'm gonna give this a higher grade than you are but for me to give it below you know, a, a, a C is also disingenuous as well. It's not like The Northman. I disliked a lot about The Northman. This movie, at least in terms of most of its spectacle, the, the ending didn't work. But I think I have to give it a B minus. I think B minus makes sense. Wow. I was going to say, I mean, leave it, leave it squarely in the B because there's plenty of reasons to get you into a theater. And if, you know, if you're judging it of how much you're bored versus how much you're actually invested in, even though you don't really get what's going on, which I think was purposeful for a lot of this movie throughout the movie. Your brother, again, that six eighths thing. I think that's, that think rings right. true. Six like you don't, yeah, yeah. You don't know where you're going for 75% of this movie, but you're happy to be along for the ride. And I think that's a winning formula for the most part. Can you not stick the landing? Look, man, this movie, it's why Peel is, as amazing as he is, because I'm going to make a <laughs> a correlation to the movie Smile and all horror movies right now. The easiest thing in the world to do right now, it seems, in film is to get a mm-hmm. horror movie greenlit because the concept is what seems to matter to studios. Right. If you have a unique concept, obviously it's a different rules when you have somebody who's as established as Jordan Peele is in the industry. But like when you have a unique concept like that movie Smile that horror movie it's a unique concept i can guarantee you the ending to that movie will be frustrating beyond all reproach because they take a formulaic approach to the unique 
concept, and right. they're basically applying the rules of the ring videotape to the smile. Right, yeah, right. They're giving her a ticking I mean, clock, which yeah, is every it, freaking it, movie. The, the explanation within the world of the movie is going to be infuriating and probably going to be ham-fisted and seem like it's a last-second gasp at something, too. Like, But the hardest thing in the world to do in the industry, it seems, is to land a unique horror concept satisfactorily. Yeah. yeah. I and think he I fell think, victim to that here. I think his twist movies they've nailed it because i mean look at get out was one of the best finales ever get out is is we're spoiled yeah i I think us is one of the puzzlers of all time like we watch that movie i but you watch you watch us like us is a different viewing experience i probably should have made this point earlier because like you watch us and from the jump when you're going into the that television set with the hands across america thing with the the scum uh, VHS. Like, you watch us and you're like, man, I know he's putting all this shit in here and I'm going to have to put this together later, but I don't quite get it yet, but I'm going to figure it out. I watch this and I'm like, did he do that purposely? I'm sure he did because he's Jordan Peele, but does it really ring true? Us is a horrifying ending, not to spoil. Maybe we should have put a disclaimer about us in here, but we're not really spoiling the us ending, but it's very Twilight Zone. Sure. Very Twilight Zone, and it's horrifying. And Get Out was satisfying, even though it was also horrifying. But mm-hmm. this movie was had a, has a happy ending. We think, unless somehow OJ's dead, which I don't think he is. I think it's bullshit. Yeah. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm totally wrong. I'm gonna look like an idiot. But if OJ's not dead. And they got the shot, even though everything went wrong, but she improvised it to go right, and they killed the beast, and they they got everything they always wanted. They got the Oprah shot, and they got, uh, you know, the, and they saved their farm. And they, so did they deserve to win? I don't know. I, I guess so, based on sim- symbolism, obviously, of course, and we root for them. But I almost feel cheated in a way. I don't know how else to put it. I, I can't, like, I give I give it credit for liking most of the movies, so that's, like, my fifth eighth. And then I give it credit for, <laughs> I give it credit for having, uh, you know, the production values it does. That's, like, my sixth eighth. Mm. So Daniel had it right. I think six eighths. <laughs> I, I was going to give it a B. That's where I'll land on it, at 85B. I can't, I can't in good conscience put Cha-Cha real smooth above this. Which I gave an eighty four yeah, to. This is your problem. You yeah, didn't is. like the one thing about Cha Cha. You didn't like I, one eighth oh, about Cha Cha. I gave you, I gave that a respectable grade, regardless of my feelings about it. Well, I just don't understand how you could just talk nothing but trash <laughs> for for six eighths of this review, and then you give it a higher grade than me. Like, how does that happen? Because I'm because I'm You're grumpy, not fair. Mike. No, You're I'm not fair. Mike. I, like, I'm not. The expectations I have for Jordan Peele are unfair. Like, why do I talk about glowingly about other movies and I end up giving them a B minus, you know? Right. I mean, it's it is it's all expectation. The Jerry you're, Bruckheimer you're right. movie wasn't that bad. The Crawdad singing was kind of <laughs> cute. The Taylor Swift song you're was laughing. all right. The Crawdads are singing and you're laughing. It was very purdy. It sure was purdy. And yeah, we'll give that we'll give that a higher grade. Yeah. Than right. Nope, which Nope is trying to yeah do much more. It's all relative. Damn it. I'm not a moral relativist, but it is relative and subjective. And we got to, you know, we got to recognize as much, you know, the, does the movie work or not work? I don't think this movie ultimately works for me. 
and I would agree with that. That's where I'm at, and yet I could still enjoy much of it. That's where I'm at. I got to be honest. A B minus is probably right, but I'm uh, maybe I'll give it an 84 too. But it's still a B. B. Yeah. All right. I'm I'm angry. This did nothing for me. <laughs> <laughs> still grumpy <laughs> guys as always what matters most to us probably more so in this episode than others is your thoughts we want to hear your interpretation of nope uh what are we missing what do you think we're hitting on are you just as befuddled as every other expert out there who's just trying to talk their way into making some sense about this uh what is your theory as to what's going on and if you think there is an overarching theme that we're just missing and you've been yelling at your uh, you know iphone the entire time listening to this let us know that as well as any have you ever seen an alien and if you have make sure you tell mike about it have you been probed personally (laughs) (laughs) all your testimonials let me and tom delong know that please you run our gmail so mike mike and oscar (laughs) at gmail Uh, let us know that as well as any other thoughts comments questions or concerns you have about anything we do here in the mmo empire uh we are mike mike and oscar on facebook and instagram at mmn oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we are available wherever you do hear podcasts if you're listening to us on either the apple podcast or spotify app if you would be so kind if you appreciate what we do to leave us a five-star review those help us out and thank you to everyone who has done so thus far michael Mm -hmm. what is coming next from us and let's get some words of wisdom to end on well it is wise to get back to us and tell us what the hell this movie means because yes, i don't get it you don't get it i know i just took the piss out of the whole process by making fun of uh alien testimonials i will <laughs> listen to them i will read them if you have them uh, i just you know i don't necessarily want to meet you out at the bar and talk about them and <laughs> see in person but maybe a public place is more is safer than the internet no i'm uh-huh. kidding uh-huh. of course we need to know we we need your help with this one please do that uh in terms of what's coming next from us we got the summer oscars report which we lied it fell through and we didn't record it before nope so but you know what's funny about that yeah I was going to say last episode how you're mm-hmm. finally gaining confidence and promising our uh, guests. Yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> the, the first episode you do that where you're like, oh, we got this guy coming up. We got this guy coming up. Postponed. Well, at least he's postponing it. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to do a summer Oscars report, which is already written. The interview's already written. We're excited uh, to talk to an es- expert. And we're going to ask him about the big three movies, maybe now big four, big five. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of movies. Batman and Nope are going to add on to everything everywhere. Top Gun and Elvis and, and all the, you know, the Marcel, the Shell, et cetera. We're going to talk about them all. And we're going to ask this guy what he thinks uh, might have some legs towards the end. And we're going to, you know, pick some hidden gems for you guys as well uh, on the first half of the year. We're not calling it a mid-year report, but a summer Oscars report. And yeah, now I'm going to be cryptic about who it is. Who's coming on? <laughs> and bodies, bodies, yeah. bodies. we got a guest book for that, but I'm going to be cryptic again, mm-hmm. so you're going to have to go back to the last episode to get the clue. Otherwise, we got more Oscar race checkpoints and Oscar profiles for certain coming up uh, that we'll enjoy. <laughs> Hopefully, with or without Grumpy Mike. Probably with, let's be honest. With let's, Grumpy Mike. Yeah, he'll, he'll be here for a while. Guys. Grumpy Mike is the better Mike. <laughs> It's the only Mike. It's the only Mike. <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, you can come get abducted with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See ya. See ya.